0: Good morning everyone, it's good to see you from this perspective, Uh, I get to know the the color of your hair often from seeing you from the back, it's nice to actually see faces now. Uh, As this, uh, the slides come up in just a moment, uh, I'll just introduce what I I hope and I pray that we do for the next 20 or so minutes. And that is, uh, my prayer and my desire is that through this time we would get a clearer glimpse Of Jesus and that we would get a clearer glimpse of the way Matthew presents Jesus Uh, which is why this is called Jesus through Matthew's eyes the ultimate prayer is that we would appreciate and therefore love and follow Jesus better uh, but also that we would appreciate Matthew in and of himself as a writer as a gospel Matthew's gospel So in a sense, this entire sermon is application, because no matter what we talk about, the entire purpose is that our hearts would be enlivened for this portion of Scripture, Matthew, and especially for Jesus himself. That's my prayer for today. Uh, We did something like this a few months ago. In early February, we took a a look at Mark's gospel. Mark presents Jesus. Uh, And um, I'm not going to even... Uh, Try to guess how many of you might remember that. Um, I have to struggle to remember it myself. Uh, What we looked at then was that Mark presents Jesus mainly in two ways. He is the sovereign sufferer. The one who is sovereign over everything, powerful and authoritative, and uses that to serve and suffer for and die for his people. And that's the way Mark presents Jesus with these two major themes. That's what we looked at back in February. Well, this is gonna be a glimpse, a short glimpse, brief, scratching the surface glimpse at how Matthew presents Jesus. So right before we, or right as we get going, it's really important and fundamental that we remember that different perspectives on the same thing or person are very good. They, They give you a fuller picture. You can understand something better if you see it from a few different angles. And I think that's exactly the case with Jesus and the Gospels. But we know this from ordinary life. You can look at the same thing, like Stonehenge, from two very different angles. You'll come up with different descriptions, but that actually enhances your understanding of, for example, Stonehenge. The stones are huge and beautiful. The stones are tiny. Dwarfed. Those actually seem like completely polar opposite descriptions, but from different perspectives, it gives you something of the close up effect and how the stones are dwarfed in the surrounding areas. Two different perspectives give different descriptions, but actually help us understand the thing more fully and hopefully appreciate it more robustly. It's the same with Jesus. Jesus is the center of human history. He is the most important person anyone could ever contemplate and come to know. And we are given not just one, but four different perspectives on Jesus, four different angles from which he is viewed and described to us by people who either knew him personally or knew the people who knew him personally, four glimpses. We call them the gospel of Jesus according to Matthew, according to Mark, according to Luke, and according to John. All of them have their eyes fixed on the same person. But they highlight something different about him. They're not identical to each other. They each give us something to contemplate. So we looked at Mark before, now we're going to look a little bit at Matthew. One way to get into how Matthew presents Jesus to us, to his first listeners and readers originally and to us, is by looking at some of the ways that he wrote his gospel. And I'll just highlight two things that are sort of windows into Matthew's two main themes about Jesus that he wants us to know. One quality of Matthew's writing is that he quotes or references scripture all over the place, especially the prophets, but really everything. Another thing is that he carefully arranges the material to present Jesus in a certain way. He clumps things together that that go together into topics, and he wants us to know something about Jesus by doing that. So we'll look briefly at each of those things in turn, and they'll highlight the two major themes about Jesus, according to Matthew, from his eyes. So the first one, many quotations and references to Scripture. Well, that is really meant to point out Jesus is hope fulfilled. That seems to be why Matthew is doing that all throughout his gospel. Jesus is hope fulfilled. The second thing, the structure, it seems like Matthew is trying to point out to us over and over again, by the way, he tells the story that Jesus is the teacher of God's way. Those two themes are crucial for who Jesus is, as Matthew describes him to us. Let's look at the first one first. That makes sense, right? Point number one, Jesus, hope fulfilled. What better place to start in Matthew than Matthew 1, verse 1? Uh, If you'd like to have the Bible in front of you, I think that would be helpful, though I'll have plenty of scripture up on the screen behind me. Matthew 1.1. This is one example of how Matthew presents Jesus in light of the Old Testament scriptures in order to encourage the sense of, of hope being fulfilled. Now, the moment you start reading this, you might think, how on earth could anything hopeful and interesting come from a genealogy? A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. If you like the King James Version, this is a list of begats. So-and-so begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so. It's actually really important, the way Matthew begins. First of all, notice those two names, David and Abraham. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the anointed king, that's what it means, son of David, son of Abraham. Why mention those two people right at the beginning? Why focus on them? Well, those seem to be two of the main places that God promised something very important in the scriptures, the Old Testament. Abraham. God had made a promise to Abraham that through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What a huge promise. (laughs) Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God promised that through Abraham. Through David, God promised something slightly different. He promised that a king would come from David's line that would rule over the world in justice forever. That this Davidic king would come and would bring justice to the world. Those are amazing promises, aren't they? Blessing for all the nations. A king to rule forever in justice. Of course... Those of you who have read the Old Testament will know that Israel who received these promises kept on sinning against God and finally God exiled them. That began a period of hundreds of years where these promises that God had made, blessing, justice, a king, where are they? Even when the people came back to the land and even when many of the people had repented and were, were trying to seek God, Where are these promises? I don't think we can really grasp the depth of hundreds of years of these promises lingering unfulfilled. The hope that God would someday finally act to bless, as he said, and to bring justice through this king. Where is all of this? This hope unfulfilled for over 400 years. When Matthew then starts his gospel it's in this kind of situation of hope unfulfilled difficulty people asking questions like but God you promised why is all this happening why are we ruled by foreign kings who, who uh, sometimes abuse us where is all of this blessing when will you finally act So Matthew tells us, well, let me tell you the beginning of Jesus, the anointed king, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the hope of all of that fulfilled. And so what he does, what Matthew does then is describe the genealogy, which we won't read here, but I'd recommend you reading it. There's some very interesting parts where Matthew brings up Uh, Women and the stories that surround them in the Old Testament in a very interesting way. But what Matthew does is highlights from Abraham to King David. Then from King David to the exile to Babylon. And then from the exile to Babylon, not to the return to the land, but as if the people are still in exile, he simply traces from the exile ah, to Jesus the one called anointed king. This is so exciting, a genealogy. This is the arrival of hope fulfilled. And only a few verses later, we're then told that Joseph was to name his son Jesus because he's gonna save his people from their sins. What a powerful beginning to the story of Jesus. A genealogy, yes. This is hope fulfilled. Jesus has arrived. Now, if you, if you want proof that Matthew continues this pattern, it's not just the beginning. Just take a glimpse at the following verses on the screen, which we're not going to read, though I'll certainly highlight key phrases. See if you notice a pattern. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. So it is written, to fulfill, this was fulfilled This might be fulfilled, so it was written, might be fulfilled. To fulfill, what is written? To fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill. Are you detecting a pattern here? Throughout the entire Gospel of Matthew, from chapter 1 through chapter 27, everything is about Jesus being the fulfillment of all of these different hopes and promises. Not least, blessing to the nations and a king who rules in justice. Jesus is hope fulfilled. This is Matthew's first major point. And he concludes his whole gospel with some very famous words that that draw our attention to, to the bedrock of this hope for us. Because after Jesus bore the sin of his people, just like it was promised at the beginning, he'll save his people from their sins. Well, after he did that, dying on the cross to bear their sins and then rise from the dead, Jesus says these words to close the gospel. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make committed learners of all nations. Committed learners, that's what disciples is all about. Of all nations. Jesus is the one with all authority. And now is time for that blessing to all nations to go. Go. Jesus hasn't brought the final thing, but he has started hope fulfilled. In fact, global hope fulfilled. That's Matthew's first, well, what we could say is a first main point running throughout the entire gospel. So now when you go and dip into Matthew's gospel, hopefully this theme will pop out all over the place and your understanding of Jesus through Matthew's eyes will will be enlivened and enriched. Well, there's something else he does, too. We've just looked at Jesus' hope fulfilled. Well, now, how about the way Matthew structures the whole gospel? That might sound boring to some of you. But actually, this is another window into what he wants us to walk away with about Jesus. And the point I think he's making, and I'll, I'll try to show you this, is that Jesus is the teacher of God's way in a world where it was so confusing. There were so many competing ideas about how to live for God. The common people, who do they turn to? Who do they listen to in all of this mayhem of people speaking different things? Well, Matthew has an answer. Let's take a look at how he does this. This picture behind me is an ancient scroll. Let's pretend it's Matthew's Gospel. It's not. Uh, First of all, this is in Hebrew, and Matthew probably wrote in Greek, Uh, and this is a scroll, and Matthew's would not have been a scroll, but more like a collection of parchment papers or even a book, something like that. So this is not Matthew's gospel, but let's pretend, because it just looks cool, okay? Bear with me here. What I'm going to do is is point out in this story of Jesus, from beginning to end, that there are two specific points where Matthew tells us that he's, he's organizing his material, There's one in chapter 4, verse 17, where he says, From that time on, Jesus began to proclaim, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. Which means that something was happening before that, but from that point on, Jesus began to teach about the kingdom. Well, then there's another point. Chapter 16, verse 21. See if you recognize these words. From that time on, Jesus began to, seems deliberate, doesn't it? These two markers in the text. But from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem to suffer for them, to die for them, but to rise from the dead. Well, this shows that Matthew seems to be deliberate in breaking up his gospel into at least three parts. Something happened before then Jesus begins teaching about the kingdom. Then he begins teaching about the cross and victory. We could summarize the first bit like this. Jesus, uh, Matthew introduces the king, our hope. Then, from that point on, he begins proclaiming the kingdom. So, the second big chunk of Matthew's gospel is Jesus' teaching of the kingdom. Then, from the next point on, he begins focusing on the cross and victory. Jesus' teaching of the cross and victory. Structure, the structure of a gospel. Yes, some people get bored by it. But this actually shows a glimpse at what Matthew wants us to take away from Jesus. And it seems to all be about teaching at this point. Jesus' teaching is crucial. But that's actually not all. There's something else very fascinating about what Matthew does, how he tells the story of Jesus. See if you can detect a pattern with what I'm about to to put up on the screen. Another pattern. First are those three points that I just highlighted. He introduces the king, our hope. Jesus teaches about the kingdom and Jesus teaches about the cross and victory. But within that, try to detect a pattern. Are you ready? Might be tricky. And as it happened when Jesus had finished, 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 and as it happened when Jesus had finished. Five times, chapter 7, 11, 13, 19, 26, Matthew uses the same phrase, seemingly in a very deliberate way. What is it that Jesus is finishing in each of these places? Well, these words, teaching is 12 these parables, these words, these words. Again, Matthew is drawing attention just in the way he tells the story of Jesus to definite blocks of Jesus' teaching. This seems to be so important for Matthew. Jesus is the teacher we need to listen to. Let's look at just a glimpse of what Jesus teaches in these things, in these blocks. So we'll keep those three main points up. Jesus' words, that first teaching block, well, that's where Jesus teaches about kingdom values. It was what we call the Sermon on the Mount sometimes. David did a a nice series on this a a while ago now, Uh, so hopefully a lot of you were impacted by that, and, and like me, your lives were shaped according to what Jesus taught. To give a few examples of what he says in that, Jesus teaches that the kingdom is about the heart, You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, don't even lust in your heart. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I say, don't even hate in your heart. Or love your enemies. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and do good to those who persecute you. Jesus lays out in this first block of teaching kingdom values that will challenge anybody. In that second block of teaching, chapter 10, Jesus gives instructions about the kingdom mission, specifically to Israel at this time, not to the nations. That comes later. But some of the things he says within that, the kingdom mission, is teach the kingdom first, and you will be opposed. This is what he trains his disciples in their kingdom mission. The third block of teaching, his parables, are all clumped into chapter 13. Matthew's put them together, so they're all there for us. Kingdom mysteries. This is one thing that Jesus focuses on in that block of teaching. Kingdom mysteries. For example, the kingdom is God's doing, not ours. The kingdom is God's doing, and that's a very mysterious thing. And one thing that happens, he points out, is that the kingdom is not actually clear at first. It's mixed with all sorts of things from the world, and you can't always pick it apart. This is some kind of mystery of how God is doing things with his kingdom. And Jesus teaches about this in chapter 13. Shifting into his teaching about the cross and the victory, in the second half of Matthew, well, He has words about being committed learners, or disciples, being committed learners within a community. Not just general kingdom values, but specifically, how do you live with each other in this community of people committed to learning Jesus' ways? For example, greatness is all about humility, being like a child, humble like a child. That's greatness when you're interacting with a brother or sister. Forgive each other. How many times must I do this? Every time. That's focused in Jesus' words there in chapter 18. And Jesus' last block of teaching that Matthew draws attention to, he has an extended section, chapters 23 to 25, on the fact that the king is going to come back. Nobody knows when, and it actually will probably be a very long time, and how to live until then. So, for example, despite all of the the difficulties you will see around you, things falling apart left and right, the king is going to come back. No matter what people say about this, the king is coming back. However, it might be delayed. So how do you live until that? Well, Well, you need to live wisely. When I entrust you certain things, you need to invest them now wisely so that when the king comes back, things will be well. So in that block of teaching, Jesus focuses on the king's return and how to live until then. What I hope this shows you is is a glimpse of how Matthew tells us about Jesus. It's not the same as how Mark does. It's the same Jesus, same cross, same resurrection. But whereas Mark drew our attention to these two dominant themes of sovereignty but suffering. Matthew has that, but he really is drawing our attention to, to these two other things, especially. And this one, Jesus as the teacher. So when you are surrounded by religious teachers, pointing this way, no, 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 that way is how to live for God. No, no, it's that way. All sorts of different teaching, trying to live for God. Who do you listen to? In all of this confusion, like in Job, when all the friends and Job are are talking in all different directions and nobody knows who's right, who's actually speaking the truth here. Well, in Job, it's when God speaks, you know that, okay, now I listen because I know this is true. That's what Matthew does with Jesus. All these voices speaking in different ways. When Jesus speaks, you listen because he is the great teacher of God's way. This is a small glimpse of Jesus through Matthew's eyes. It's only intended to initiate all of our thinking and praying and devotion to Jesus more, so that when we leave here and at some point jump into Matthew's Gospel, we might be able to be slightly more equipped at appreciating Jesus And appreciating God's inspired word to Matthew. More now than perhaps we did before. So to summarize, to bring it to a close. According to Matthew, Jesus is our hope fulfilled. Even when it doesn't look like it, Jesus has arrived. And our hope has begun to be fulfilled and will be completed. And second, Jesus is the teacher of God's ways. So to bring our attention to the close again, how Matthew closes his whole gospel, both of these themes converge. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make committed learners of all nations, teaching them, to obey all that I have commanded you. Do you see that emphasis on teaching again in Matthew's gospel? Us now teaching others what Jesus has commanded. And look, I'm with you. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, I'm with you the whole way until the end. I can't imagine a better hope than that.